Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Delighted to welcome my first guest uh, to the studio. He'll be a man quite familiar to a lot of you, particularly if you are familiar with racing in Scandinavia or familiar with the work of race readers here in Great Britain because he's been a great exponent of both. He began life as an apprentice jockey, very successful apprentice jockey as well, with the great late uh, Bernard Van Cutsum, and then looking for more opportunities, plied his trade in Norway and Sweden, where he was champion jockey no fewer than eight times. He is now, I'm not sure how he takes this, best known as William Buick's dad, but he was a, a great sportsman in his own right. I'd like to welcome him to luck on Sunday. Walter Buick, good morning. Good morning, Nick. Yeah, that's a very good description of myself. Nobody really knew who I was until Junior came along, but there we are. I had my days in the sun as well. You absolutely had your days yeah, in the sun. Yeah. Uh, not many people then knew an awful lot about racing in, in Scandinavia. We know a bit more about it now, however. We do. Um, certainly, I didn't. I hadn't a clue. But in those days, I started, as you quite rightly said, with Bernard Van Cutsum. You didn't have the big strings that we have now. We had 35 maximum amount of horses. And... Um, no all-weather racing. It was March until November. That was it. You didn't have the same opportunities that the kids have now. Um, I had ridden 10 winners, but Willie Carson was taken on as Lord Derby's jockey. Then the great Al Piggott came along, and he was riding what he wanted to ride, horses like Park Top, Carabas, and so forth. And I just took a look at things and thought to myself, hmm, there's not going to be much left. After Lester Piggott and Willie Carson and Willie. have had their say. How, how well do you remember those days and the impact that those two men had on the sport? Like it was yesterday. They were the greatest days of my life. I left home at the age of 15, knew absolutely nothing about riding. I knew a little bit about horse racing. I'd left school and decided that this is what I'm going to do. And where was home? Home was a small town on the east coast of Scotland called Arbroath. Mm -hmm. No racetrack. The nearest racetrack was obviously Edinburgh, Musselburgh, as it's now known. Um, I'd never ridden. Uh, it was just the fact that I, I was the right size to start with. Um, I th I'm sure my mother had other plans for me. Sadly, she passed away when I was 12 years of age, and I kind of I decided there and then that I'm going to have a go at this. But things were different then. None of my family knew anything about horse racing. Now, how do I get into this? There were no career officers or anything at, the, at, my, at, at any school in those days. You kind of made your own way. So I had an uncle that knew a little bit about the game, and I asked him, how do I... So we decide, he advised me to write to two or three trainers, which I duly did. Bernard Van Cutsum was one of them. Geoffrey Brook, who trained in Newmarket at that time, was another. And Captain Cecil Boyd Rochford. Well, the only nice letter I got back was from Bernard Van Cutsum. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that was it. So I went there at the age of 15, and because he was a man of means... He bought ponies for us to ride. There were three kids, three of us that started on the same day. Um, and I was the one that was absolutely clueless about how to ride a horse, never mind race horses. 
So first of all, he sent us to a, a very nice lady called Anne Hammond in Stetchworth, where we had riding lessons. But he, he was a man of means. He could, he could pay for that. And I'll never forget it. There were three of us, and I was the last to leave. Once you became proficient, he obviously didn't want to carry on paying for you once you could ride. But I was last. <laughs> I was the, the odd man out. I was there for ages because I just couldn't get it. But particularly given the news this week and what we talk about in terms of looking after the, the workforce in the sport now, it's, it's quite heartening to hear that even back then you were being looked after like that by, by your employer. Absolutely. And that he felt that responsibility to nurturing your career and nurturing you as a person. Um, yes, both as a jockey and as a person. Um, I just loved every single minute of it. We were well cared for. <clears throat> Bernard was actually very good to me. The only, I often say, if only. First of all, I started at the wrong stable to become a budding jockey because it was a gambling yard and they couldn't afford to make too many mistakes by having a, an inexperienced claimer on board when, they, when, they, when the guys decided that we're going we're gonna to have a, a punt on this, which Bernard liked to do. And when you say it was a gambling yard, and people talk about gambling yards now, then a gambling yard meant serious money, and it didn't go down that often. And when it did go down, this was the, a year or two. They didn't leave it behind. On. You see, Bernard was a member of the Clermont's Club. People like David Aspinall, who, yep. who ran it. You had uh, one of our owners was a, a gentleman called David Montague, mm -hmm. a big punter. Um, Lord Derby, who liked to punt, that's John, the uncle of the present Lord Derby, and they they liked to gamble. Um, Lord Lucan. He was obviously a member of the Clermont Club. We never saw him because he never got connected with the racehorses. But we saw a lot of this these type of people. Yeah. And I laugh now, but I, I sometimes think that perhaps when they had a losing time at the tables, they sort of got together and said. Bernard, we've got to get some of this back. You'll have to, you'll have to set one up or something. So um, whether that's right or not, but that, that, that's an afterthought that I've had. And anyway, I think Bernard thought I was probably better as a jockey than I actually was because I didn't have a lot of experience. And my first early winners, they were steering jobs. I didn't have to do very much. So the first time that I rode, and I'm still claiming seven, mind you, mm -hmm. and it was a little bit of a, a thing that you, you didn't know, but you did know, this one has been back today. And I remember in particular, I rode a filly at Yarmouth, who'd uh, been well prepared, she was well handicapped, and the money was on. Before the days of starting stalls, a mile and a half, Three-year-old handicap, she, get, she got in there with no weight. I claimed seven. And I knew Bernard was on because when he was nervous, his fingers used to... And in the paddock, I, I thought, oh, God, the money is on. So anyway, off we go. The worst thing possible happened. She whipped round at the barrier and lost, lost the race right there. He never spoke to me all the way home. It was a long trip back from Yarmouth in the Bentley, I can assure you. But, you know... I was inexperienced. And the other times, I must say that when I rode anything that I'm 
quite sure the, the money was on. I brought the bacon home, you know. But they were well placed, they were well handicapped. And with my seven pound, it made them basically certainties. There was another, as you said, <laughs> another young, Scottish-born, smallish, dynamic jockey around at the time, making his way. Uh, tell me your recollections of a very early days, Willie Carson. With Willie? Well, we come from towns not too distant from each other. He's from uh, near Stirling. It's about 60, 50, 60 miles from where I'm from. And uh, Willie was 21 before he rode his first winner. He was apprenticed to Sam Armstrong. First of all, Gerald Armstrong in Middleham. Then he moved to Newmarket to Sam, who was a renowned producer of jockeys, mm. like the Balding Academy is now, and was then, uh, Ian before Andrew. Um, but Willie was taken on as first jockey to Lord Derby after Doug Smith retired. Doug has had a few falls, and so Willie was taken on as Lord Derby's jockey. But Bernard didn't use him on horses trained by other people to start with. But Bernard had told me, if you're going to style yourself on any jockey, try and find a jockey that's the same build as yourself, yeah. which made sense. I mean, I couldn't style myself on El Piggott because, you know, totally two totally different builds, which a lot of kids tried to do, riding with the knees up, and it didn't work. And I would like to think that I took a lot from Willie, having ridden loads of work in the mornings with him and watched his way of riding. And I thought, I like that. The lovely long rain. Willie would be nudging away. Fallenish, but in a different way. Nudging away, and the horse is doing absolutely nothing. And then Willie would change his hands and, and away they would go. And to me, that was right. And, and I tried to carry that out in my career in Scandinavia. Which was wildly successful. And as I said at the top of the programme, eight times, eight times champion jockey there. Yeah. Was it a good way of life? It was a good way of life. I had to get away. I had to ride races. I knew I was probably not as bad as it looked. And I'm probably coming down on myself a little bit here, but I just, it was no good having one ride a month. Mm. You know, you have to be doing it continuously. Yeah. It's like everything. Practice makes perfect. I mean, I was riding really good horses in the mornings, like of Park Top, Carabas, who won the Washington, D.C. International, a lot of good horses that I would be sitting on, but it wasn't the same as riding a race. And I'm sh I don't know whether I Bernard wanted me to stay, but I decided I had to go somewhere to start riding on a regular basis, and that's exactly what happened. When I finished my career, I'd ridden almost 1,500 winners, which wherever you are in the world, it's, it's a lot of winners. 22 classics, four derbies, Scandinavian races, of course. And, um, it, it, you know, it just showed me that it's like everything. The more you do it, the better you get. Was it an enjoyable time of your life? Fantastic. I loved every single minute of it. We were, as we said previously, we were well cared for. Um, I started riding a winner or two, and, and I loved to, you know, I loved to dress up well. We were to, we were taught to dress well when you went to the races. And um, the, when I started riding a few winners and had a bit of an income, I remember I went to Bernard and asked him, 
could I have a suit made at Golding, sir, blah, blah, blah. And he thought that was a great idea. And, you, you know, we had to, when we went to the races to lead horses, suit, trilby, collar and tie. Some mornings, even on work mornings, the work jockeys would turn up in a collar and tie. It was an important, it was so important. On a work morning or, or the night before, sometimes I couldn't even sleep with excitement. It, it was huge because Bernard, when we worked horses, it was not always flat out, very, very rarely flat out, but now and then he liked to see what a horse was capable of, so he went a good gallop. And obviously with me being light, I would quite often read, uh, ride the lead horse, and we would be working 10 furlongs on racecourse side, and they don't do it anymore. Things have changed. People don't work horses as far as they used to. But we would work regularly sort of middle-distance horses over 10 furlongs. And it was wonderful to see these good horses parked up, quicking up past you. And it was just, to me, it was an amazing, amazing. You've had your own successes that, you, that you've talked about. How, <clears throat> how much does watching what William does exceed the pleasure that your own successes gave you? Oh, just indescribable. I mean, he's, he's the finished article. He's a far, far better jockey than I ever was, but, um, it, you know, it gave me great pleasure to start him off, for example, at the Balding Academy. I didn't have that advice. Mm. So all the pitfalls that I fell into, I could steer him away from that. So he, he had a far better start than I ever had. But he's gone on to prove that he's worthy of that. And, um, yeah, I've got huge, huge amount of respect for him. Not only as a as a rider, but as a person. This year, he's faced an unusual challenge, <clears throat> given that he had to face a spell on the sidelines because of um, the brain injury that he'd he'd incurred. How has he How has he coped with that? To be very frank, I th I think he's coped with it far better than I thought he would. He's been very philosophical about it, um, with great support support from. Sheikh Mohammed and the team not to rush back to make sure that he was healed perfectly. But from day one, like he does everything, he made sure that he was 100%, 110% fit when he came back. So he worked really hard, extremely hard, in the gym, on the tennis court, you name it. He, he, that is, that's the way he's made. If he's going to do something, it's got to be right. And, you know, I think this is, this is part of his makeup that he never does things by half. If you're going to do it, do it right. When he was a kid, I'll never forget, he was at the Balding Academy, as I call it, and he started getting a few rides for BW Hills. And one day, he arrived late at Newbury for a ride for Barry. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was living in Kingsclear, but he didn't have a car or anything. He wasn't old enough to drive. And one of the lads took him, and he had a puncture on the way, and he was riding one for Barry in the first. So I'm at home, and I could see there was a jockey change, and I thought, what's happened to him? Why isn't, you know, what's happened here? Anyway, it was his weekend off, and he came home to me, and he tried to explain to Barry, but Barry didn't even want to talk to him. So he got a phone call from Penny Hills that he had to call Barry. So 
he duly did that in the morning, and I think Barry wanted to just keep him on tenterhooks. <laughs> he wasn't available. But he had to call back at a certain time. And William put the loudspeaker on the phone, and he got the biggest rollicking you have ever heard. And Barry Hills told him, he said, if you're going to do this job, you've got to do it... He was more explicit than I'm, explicit than I'm going to be. Yeah. You've got to do it 110%, or don't bother at all. Mm. And I think that stayed with him. It was the best thing that could have happened to him because he realised... I've got to really kick on now. And that was just what happened. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai.